Good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, Glendalee Allen-Vossler will talk about fertilizer considerations for this year. Up first in today's country comments, we'll have more details on the PED outbreak taking place currently in the province. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. As of Tuesday, there were 51 confirmed cases of PED in Manitoba, mostly in the southeast. Manitoba Pork gave an update on the situation. On the call was provincial veterinarian Dr. Glenn Dyser. We're probably looking at somewhere in the ballpark of uh, uh, 65 to 70,000 sows affected by this currently, which is not a small number. Um, it is comparable to what we've seen in 2017 and 2019. And that I, I stress that number is a bit of a range simply because it's an easy, that's based on maximum capacity of the premises. That doesn't necessarily represent the uh, what's actually on the sow premises that are involved. So I just want to stress that's why there's a bit of a range there. But just to give a different scope to this, uh, just to highlight, those are the herds that of course have the biggest impact on PED because it is a neonatal pig disease. Um, uh, primarily impacts that younger, uh, essentially zero to 14 day old pig. Um, so those cell farms represent, you know, the real severe impact on the industry. Um, I think the a couple of other things I would would stress is that yes, the biosecurity, or sorry, the risk factors, the risk factors um, are not different. We we haven't seen any new risk factors. Uh, what I would say is that's appropriate is that this wintertime conditions as Janelle talked about has put emphasis on different risk, uh, different uh, emphasis on, on those risk factors. So ones that might've been less of an issue when we dealt with these outbreaks in the spring and the summer are more of an issue um, in, in wintertime and very much around biosecurity and cleaning and disinfection. So for high traffic facilities to keep their um, uh, contact points cleaned and disinfected when it's minus 30, that's very hard to do. Um, the stress on equipment, on transport, and uh, um, the cleaning and disinfection uh, um, protocols and processes and equipment involved for transport, also extremely hard to do in, in, um, uh, in, in cold weather conditions. Managing biosecurity around the yard and what we call the controlled access zone or the loadout areas where pigs are moving from the barn into a transport. Um, all of those factors in the biosecurity and cleaning and disinfection protocols, all of those we see impacted by this cold weather condition. What we don't see, obviously, is that uh, in previous in previous outbreaks, we've seen um, linkages to manure application, um, uh, field work, et cetera, that has had contaminated manure on it. Obviously, off the table this time of year, we've certainly seen no linkages to that. But I, I think it's important to say the risk factors themselves have not changed, but their uh, probability of impact, if you will, or their significance of impact has definitely changed. Um, I, I think that we are, when we look at the two premises that are outside of the current areas, they've certainly circled back to those risk factors, in particular uh, contact with high traffic sites and challenges on doing cleaning and disinfection on transport. Um, 
I would add, and this is still very much uh, involves further investigation. In the past, we have seen things such as um, uh, feed and dead stock be less of an issue. Um, and I would say feed transport and dead stock and potentially feed itself, maybe, we don't know 100%, but maybe more of an issue this time around. And again, that, that that has a lot to do with how effectively you can manage a dead stock truck, a feed truck, et cetera, and the biosecurity around it, the yard level biosecurity in wintertime conditions. One final point that I would add that is being, um, you know, thankfully, it's, it's pretty obvious for all of us what we're doing right here, um, that we're all at home and we're working from home. Um, and for the response team, that is a combination of the folks on my side with, within the chief veterinary office and those of us that work within the animal health and well animal health branch in the chief veterinary office, as well as for MPC staff, we've been able to work at home. But COVID-19 has put a significant impact, including the current outbreak or the current spike in cases. Uh, certainly, we didn't see that early on, but we do see it now where um, transport biosecurity, feed mills, barns themselves are that we have staff members, staff and people involved in the outbreak that that are doing the right thing, and uh, uh, following along the Manitoba Health's uh, COVID recommendations if they've been exposed, and that takes staff away from from the outbreak. It's obvious; it has to happen. We understand that. Um, we're not we're not obviously saying that we we want sick people to work on this. Uh, that's not at all, but it just it shows that that the current bigger outbreak that we're dealing with has had significant impacts on this uh, on this one in the pork sector. That was provincial veterinarian Dr. Glenn Dizer earlier this week as Manitoba Pork gave an update on the PED outbreak. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Knute. The Manitoba government's agricultural crown land lease and permit auctions will be held online beginning Monday, January 31st. A number of agricultural crown land parcels will be available to rent for hang, grazing, or cropping. The official listing of agricultural crown lands available for rent can be found online. The online auctions will be hosted by Garton's Auction Service from January 31st to February 4th. Farm Credit Canada's economics team is forecasting what's in store for Canada's agriculture and food industry in 2022. Despite the uncertainty, Chief Economist J.P. Gervais suggests industry producers and processors keep an eye on five key trends, one of those being Canada's inflation and interest rates. If you're looking at short-term rates, by the end of 2022, you could have short-term rates that are about 1.1% to 1.25% higher than what they were uh, towards the end of 2021. And so that's actually a big a jump in uh, short-term rates. But the good news, I think, uh, from that standpoint is that long-term, if you look at long-term rates, they are pretty much at the level that they were prior to the beginning of the pandemic. So in other words, you know, from an historical standpoint, we still have access to low long-term interest rates. Other trends to watch include ongoing supply chain challenges, labor shortages, supply demand imbalances, and strength in meat demand. And on Tuesday, Manitoba Pork gave an update on the PED outbreak in the province. Janelle Hamlin is manager of Swine Health Programs. 
So currently we are sitting at 51 confirmed cases of PED in Manitoba. They are mostly in the southeast part of the province where we have traditionally seen our cases. However, this year we did see two early cases uh, in that Brunkhild area. And more recently, we've seen two cases in uh, west of the 75, uh, two different RMs uh, in the arm of Karche and the arm of North Norfolk. So we have seen it has jumped a little bit outside the southeast. Uh, of those 51, we currently have 19 sow farms, 10 nursery, 18 finisher, and four farrow to finish. Manitoba Pork says PED poses no threat to food safety or human health. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Thursday, January 13th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Wasser will talk about fertilizer considerations for this year. Over 500 people took part in this week's two-day virtual agronomy update out of Alberta. Regis Karamanos is now a retired soil scientist. He talked to producers about fertilizer considerations for 2022. Glenda Lee Allen Wasser caught his presentation online. He says the drought has meant reduced crop growth and nutrient uptake. As a result, he expects there will be a tremendous amount of residual fertilizer that will be staying in the soil. Dry means that if you were to do a soil test lab, you will realize there is a tremendous variability in the nutrients, and especially when it comes to nitrogen. The nitrogen variability in the soil increases dramatically. Poor crops, of course, do not use nitrogen. And of course, there is uh, no nitrogen movement. So expect to have stranding of the nitrogen in the top uh, inch or two of the soil, wherever, or, or three, wherever the, the, the nitrogen was placed to begin with. Also, late rains and in some cases, subsequent regrowth of crops can change the nutrient status. Now, I'm very thankful to AgVice Laboratories out of Northwood, North Dakota. They shared with me all uh, uh, their data, uh, soil test uh, data for the fall. Uh, Since 1986, they have complete record. Actually, when I used to run the Saskatchewan Soil Testing Lab and then Enviratis in Saskatoon up to 1997, I used to have those, but of course now this is all gone. And, but there are for Saskatchewan and Manitoba, but I I think they apply to Alberta as well. So I thought I should put them out for you to have a look at them. And you can see we have two dramatic peaks in in the nitrogen levels. One, of course, that occurred in 2000, in in 1988, and it it persisted for about three years uh, after the drought of 1988. And you can see now, we have a peak this past year as a result of the, of the drought. So <clears throat> you can see that nitrogen, uh, soil test nitrogen will skyrocket. Now, another thing that I'm not sure how many people are aware of is that when you have a drought, there is a decrease in the soil pH. And that decrease is also followed by an increase in the electrical conductivity of the salts. They are more concentrated. And of course, you will see some of the nutrients to be higher, such as phosphorus. This will, of course, correct themselves in time. 
but be very cognizant of that. Actually, these changes occurred during the growing season. Dr. Cynthia Graham, that everybody knows, she did her PhD studying those changes during the growing season. So it's not just unique to the, you know, to one dry year. It will be happening during the growing season. But nevertheless, there are these changes. And I mentioned to you that I was running the Saskatchewan Soil Testing Lab until 1997. And I thought I should include this uh, data from that period. Uh, this is after the drought of the 1989. Um, and you can see where the pH is about 6.8. And then when things went back to normal, uh, five years later, the pH is up to 7.8, just about a, a, a difference of one unit. And you can see how the electrical conductivity is. And look how phosphorus is, you know, just about uh, 12 uh, pounds difference, you know, between, uh, between the dry year and the wet year. So be cognizant of that because, you know, you don't want to be fooled that your phosphorus levels are uh, permanently higher. He says in order to reduce the risk with a proper fertilizer, the first step in managing the soil is knowing what's in it, which means making sure that you get that soil test done. Rigas Caramanos taking part in the two-day virtual agronomy update out of Alberta. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. There's been talk of the U.S. using canola for renewable diesel. John Drieger with Leftfield Commodity Research gave us his thoughts. That's something that's very much on our radar. And, and so, you know, it is one of those. And, and as so many of these things are, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, legislation and policy and, and, and uh, sort of a regulatory dynamic that creates an element of, uh, let's just say, uncertainty uh, in regards to do laws get passed? What do they look like? And that sort of thing. But, but certainly it's one of the things that's on our radar is the potential for, uh, uh, for, for demand for canola oil to, to increase substantially out of the U.S., uh, depending a little bit on what those biofuel policies look like and, and if and when they pass and so forth. So that's certainly uh, certainly very much on our radar. Uh, it's one of those things that, that doesn't happen necessarily overnight, but, but has the potential to be a huge source of, of demand for canola oil here going forward, depending on, uh, uh, A, if that legislation gets passed, and, and B, what it looks like. So uh, certainly certainly something that I think uh, you know the industry needs to keep their sights on here going forward and watch closely. And what would that mean for uh, Canada? Well, certainly it could be a huge increase in, uh, in demand for canola oil specifically. Uh, and so, you know, that's, uh, that, that, you know, in, so we have, for example, you know, we have uh, uh, a lot of projected builds of new crush plants in, in Western Canada. And I think one of the things that they keep in the back of their minds, or not just in the back of their minds, you know, certainly probably part of their business plan is the potential for a huge increase in uh, in uh, uh, renewable fuel consumption and specifically for canola oil. And so when we think about, uh, you know, all these plants that are anticipated to go up in the next few years, uh, you know, based on, on what this legislation could look like, uh, boy, you know, that's, uh, we won't have trouble finding a home for that, uh, for that canola oil here. So it's, uh, you know, it certainly encourages uh, demand for what we grow, uh, potentially a lot of demand growth for, for what we grow. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, all the, all the subsequent investment here in our own backyard and sales opportunities. So, uh, um, you know, that's, 
that's I think what, what you know we're kind of looking towards. And uh, again, it's always always some uncertainty when it's policy and regulation and so forth. But uh, but I think that's that's kind of what we're watching closely and, and uh, monitoring. That was John Drieger, Vice President of Leftfield Commodity Research. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Manitoba Agriculture is offering environmental farm plan workshops over the winter. These will take place online. Visit the Manitoba Agriculture website to register. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a Stock Talk webinar today at 1 p.m. You can register on the MFGA website. Manitoba Egg Days in Brandon has been postponed. New dates will be determined. Keystone Agricultural Producers has moved its 38th annual meeting to a virtual format January 25th and 26th. Visit the CAP website for agenda details and to register. And Manitoba Forage Seed is going virtual January 26th and 27th. Visit their website for a list of agenda items and to register. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon, cropland in Manitoba is starting to get a good amount of moisture to replenish the fields that dried up last year. Reporter Judy Peters caught up with Mark Hutlett with Mark Hutlett Seeds in St. Anne. Mark, let's talk a little bit about the snowfall that we've been getting so far this winter. I think we'll have to take a look at what last year was like with getting so little precipitation and and the significant impact that had on soil moisture levels. It's pretty important that we get a fair amount of snowfall this winter. Yes, absolutely. It's it's critical. Um, But if you turn uh, turn back the clock just a bit, we were very fortunate enough to get a, a a great you know weather event or rain event in in november um you know we got a couple of inches of rain slash sleet here in this area which um the you know the ground really absorbed and there was no runoff so that was a a big bonus for us after being dry for so long so that's a plus uh, from what I can see, we're you know we're running anywhere from you know 60 to 80 percent of our average snowfall. Again, like the variability of the rainfall within our area last summer, there's been some um, variability with snowfall, but it doesn't look like much in the fields uh, in terms of snow cover. You can see the odd corn stover poke, poking out yet. So the wind has really done a lot of uh, <laughs> really moved it around. Uh, this this year, but uh, you know, if you get away from the wind prone area, there's there's a couple of feet of snow or more uh, out there. So um, we're we're on the right track. As far as um, you know, how much our biggest problem going in is how much we have in terms of uh, like you know water holding capacity, which we really tapped into that this past summer, right? We we were. We're looking at within, like, let's say the landmark Steinbach-Dougal area, if you snap the line there, which was the driest part of our area, as, you know, we work in the immediate southeast um, part of Manitoba, there's only 20 to 60% left there if, uh, as far as uh, availability. But then you go just a bit south, like Rosa, Zoda, you know, that goes up to, to 60 to 80%. So there's there's a tremendous amount of variability again within you know within the area. So 
Um, but it, it bodes well. It, it's you know we are if we we could still get a few snow events right as we as we move on here. We're still only January 11th. So now we're looking at uh, precipitation levels, but then also the the wind, like you mentioned, the wind is blowing around the snow, but because there isn't as much snow cover, then there's also a lot of dirt that's being uh, picked up and, and brought elsewhere. Yes, there was a stretch of, of erosion again in, in early December where we melted down the, the little bit of snow we had, and last spring was just awful in you know in terms of some of the ditches being full of topsoil so yes there is that you know that possibility i, I don't again with a couple more snow events we, we should avoid that come come springtime uh, unless we again go you know arid for for another month so when you're talking to producers in the area what is the feeling right now i can only imagine that last year it was it was pretty rough and rocky with with the weather situation but what are what what is the feeling like now is it are people hopeful for this year well farmers are always uh, optimistic uh otherwise they yeah that's that's the nature of 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 their their personality and that'll never change and so you know uh Timely rains are what's going to be key coming up here in, in in the season. We cannot go another two months in the last half of summer with 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 no rain. There'll, there's not enough there to take it home. So we'll need some you know some timely rains. And for example, you know corn. Corn needs you know ten inches of rain. Wheat needs about eight inches. Those are approximate numbers. But you know some areas last last summer we only got three to four, and so. Uh, we will not be able to, to, or we sure hope not to have to encompass that same situation. Uh, prices are good, and so they're they're feeling good about you know some of the things. But our biggest obstacle, uh, really, uh, that's diverted the conversation from rain is is uh, is fertilizer pricing. So, um, you know, again, we get some timely rains. We, we, there should be no problem. Our, Average around uh, of, of average amount of rainfall, and not a substandard amount like we did this year. And tell me a bit more about the situation with regards to fertilizer prices. Well, it has really spread out the risk management of crops this year, um, based on what the input of that crop uh, costs to put in. Uh, there'll be. Um, you know, a bit more peas, a, a bit more barley, some more oats, you know, a little bit of flax, uh, a little bit more fl- sunflowers, and, uh, you know, combined with the usual uh, canola and soybeans and corn. Um, so there are a lot of uh, different crops. And then some of the first crops I mentioned usually take less fertilizer. And so what, what maybe hasn't been grown on the farm for a couple of years is, is going to come back. That was Mark Hutlett with Mark Hutlett Seeds in St. Anne chatting with reporter Judy Peters. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. As of Tuesday, there were 51 confirmed cases of PED in Manitoba, mostly in the southeast. Manitoba Pork gave an update on the situation. On the call was provincial veterinarian Dr. Glenn Dyser. We're probably looking at somewhere in the ballpark of uh, a 65 to 70,000 sows affected by this currently, which is not a small number. 
it is comparable to what we've seen in 2017 and 2019. And I, I, I stress that number is a bit of a range simply because it's an easy, that's based on maximum capacity of the premises. That doesn't necessarily represent the uh, what's actually on the sow premises that are involved. Manitoba Pork says PED poses no threat to food safety or human health. And Farm Credit Canada is forecasting what's in store for Canada's agriculture and food industry this year. Despite the uncertainty, Chief Economist J.P. Gervais suggests industry producers and processors keep an eye on five key trends, one of those being the labour shortage. I think it is one of the top issues, especially short term. Right? we got so many disruptions right now because of the new variants, the speed at which it, it evolves. And so for businesses right now, I think labour has to be a very, very critical input and strategic asset that they have to think about. If you look at job vacancy rates in food processing as well as at the farm level, we're at, you know, uh, basically 50% more vacancies in food processing, close to 50% more vacancies when it comes to uh, at the farm production level. So overall, I think it's, it's we're going to have to have short-term solutions, uh, perhaps, you know, looking at some employing labor and so forth, but also medium and long-term solutions. Other trends to watch include Canada's inflation and interest rates, ongoing supply chain challenges, supply demand imbalances, and strength in meat demand. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have details on the G3 Grow Beyond Scholarship. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.